Thank you, Andre, and thank you, choir. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm 39, verses 3 through 7. Psalm 39, verses 3 through 7. And while you're finding that, let me tell you what a joy it is to be back with you again. I did a couple of revival meetings years and years ago. And then I was here when uh, Alan retired a few months ago. So it's good to be back. I told uh, Andre to skip the details of my introduction to my life. You're not interested and I already know them. So we just pass those up. But the fact is that I have pastored for 34 years at various churches in the state of Texas and 17 of them at the Green Acres Baptist Church in Tyler. And I think sometimes our broadcast came down here in those days. Maybe it still does. But uh, anyway, I had a wonderful time as the pastor. And then after that, I went to be president and CEO of the annuity board of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's A-N-N-U-I-T-Y, annuity. I used to say it, now I spell it. The reason is I was interim pastor at the Travis Avenue Baptist Church in Fort Worth. Following the last service, that interim pastor at that reception for my wife and me. And as the people came through the line to greet us, one little girl said to her mother, does Brother Powell work for the nudity board? <laughs> and it, it, it is a pleasant thought, but my work was not nearly that interesting. We took care of the retirement of ministers and missionaries and anybody who worked for a Southern Baptist institution or agency. Well, after I left the pastorate and went into the financial world, uh, people would always ask me, do you miss being a pastor? And the answer was the same. I, yes, I love being a pastor. I, I love my people and most of them like me. I, I loved all the little children and they all liked me. And when I left Green Acres, the third grade choir wrote me some letters I've treasured since that time. One of them wrote, said, thank you for being our preacher. Thank you for making the sermons interesting. And a lot of times I knew what you were talking about. I got an idea that some deacon wrote that and signed the kid's name to it. <laughs> Another one said, I will miss you, Paul. Thank you for baptizing me. I'm sorry for wasting your time. <laughs> There's some of you like that here, I imagine today. Uh, my favorite was the one who wrote, said he won't be much like it used to be without you. I'm sad that you're leaving, but I will get over it. <laughs> Well, they're over me by now at Green Acres, but I'm not over them. Well, after I finished my stint at the annuity board, I retired, moved back to Tyler and was retired for a couple of years. And they called me from Baylor University and asked if I'd come down and be the dean of the seminary, of Truett Seminary, where your interim pastor is working. I didn't hire him, but I would have been glad to do that. But I was dean of that seminary. I went for three years. It stretched into six and a half years. And uh, we had a, had a wonderful time there. But people asked me, said, why in the world would you go back to work after you retire? Don't you retire so you can sleep late, so you can play golf, so you can travel? And I found out retirement's not all it's cooked up to be. I mean, the first day of retirement, I said to my wife, honey, how about fixing me a hot breakfast? She said, why don't you set your raisin brand on fire? <laughs> uh, and uh, that's one of our better days, you know? So shoot, I just took off and went down to Waco and ate at IHOP and they treated me a whole lot better there. <laughs> but of course I tipped them also. But anyway, it's been a wonderful journey and uh, 
I tell people that uh, I, I'm very much like an old tennis ball. I've been batted around a lot in life. I lost most of my bounce, but I'm still in the game. So I'm glad to be here with you today. Thank you. I want you to know that I'm not a book salesman, but I have some books out in the foyer, and they are for sale if you're interested, and it's a way of extending my ministry into the lives of people, and I also use the profits to help seminary students with scholarships, and so if you're interested in the books, there are three of them. One is entitled Looking at Life Through the Rear View Mirror, and it simply is a reflection on a lot of things I've learned down through the years. The second one is learning from the long walk. And I have walked with the Lord for 60-something years, 65 years. And uh, in that long walk, I've learned some things that I needed to know and you need to know. And uh, then the last book that I have written is entitled The Last Leaf on the Tree. And that's what I'm beginning to feel like when I think about all my friends who have gone on. I'm about the last leaf on the tree. But anyway, they're back there on the counter uh, and they are $10 a piece and the money will be used to help seminary students. You know, there are an awful lot of poor preachers uh, in Texas and some of them don't have any money. (laughs) It takes a while for that to get to the back row, but it eventually gets there. Anyway, I try, to, I try to help those students, and they're back there. And then one other thing, the three books, $10 a piece, make your own change. Then I have a CD of uh, funny stories. Now, folks, there's absolutely nothing spiritual about this, not, not one thing spiritual. Not one thing unspiritual, by the way. It's just good, funny stories. And if you like a funny story, then you'll like this uh, CD. I preached for a year at the Travis, at the... Uh, Park City's Baptist Church in Dallas several years ago, and I began every sermon with a funny story, and after I left, uh, somebody went through all those sermons, took off the funny stories, threw the sermons away, and uh, (laughs) the funny stories are right here on this CD, but anyway, if you're interested in that, uh, they're, they're fun stories to listen to, and if you talk to people, they're good stories to tell along life's way. Well, I want to speak today on the subject Uh, The Balanced Life, and by the way, it is the the first sermon in this book, The Last Leaf. So you can either take notes on the sermon, or you can uh, buy the book, and you won't have to take notes. But when I go to the doctor nowadays, they ask me two questions that they used to not ask. The first question is, uh, do you dread going home? And the first time they asked me that, I said, why in the world are you asking me that? They said, well, we're required to by law because there are some people who are abused at home. The second question made a little more sense. They said, have you fallen lately? And uh, they asked me that this week when I went to the doctor, and my answer is always the same. Well, sure I have. I mean, that's what old people do. We just fall around. If it weren't for door facings and and tables and chairs and stuff, we'd be out all the time. (laughs) You know, I don't know. Something happens to you uh, as you get older, but you lose your equilibrium. And you can't keep your balance like you used to. And balance is important not only in your physical life, but in all of life. You know, balance is important in a football team. You need to have a balance between passing and running. Otherwise, the defense can key on just one aspect of the game and they can shut you down. You need to have balance in basketball. 
Uh, you need to have more than one person who is a good scorer on the team. John Wooten, a great basketball coach from UCLA, said that no team with the nation's leading scorer ever won the national championship. And the reason for that is that you stop that leading scorer and you stop the team. So you need a balance in scoring. You need a balance in your finances. You know, if your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep is going to be your downfall. And so you need a balance in that. But you also need a balance in your spiritual life. And in Psalm 39, we have a, an account of a life of a man who is about to lose his spiritual balance. Let me read for you, starting in verse 3, just a few verses. He says, My heart was hot within me while I mused, the fire burned. Uh, he was burning in anger uh, toward God. Then spoke I with my tongue, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me to know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as a hand's breadth and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. They amass riches and it does not, and they do not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I, what, what do I wait? Uh, my hope is in you. Uh, here's a man who's going through a hard time in life. We don't know what's happened to him. Maybe, maybe he's sick, having sick uh, problems. Maybe he's being attacked by an enemy, but he's having a hard time in life. And his first reaction is to, to be angry with God, to strike out at God. But the more he thought about it, the better he thought of it. And so he changed from being angry at God to praying to God. And that's always a better alternative. And in this prayer that we have in this psalm, he prays for three things. He prays, Lord, help me to realize how transient my life is, how, how brief, how passing my life is. And then he prays, Lord, help me to realize that uh, I gather all these possessions together and then I'm going to die one day and leave them all behind for somebody else to spend. And then he says, Lord, help me to realize that you are not my problem, you are my hope. So he, he prays a prayer and he prays essentially this. He prays, Lord, help me to realize that no matter how long I live, life is short. No matter how much I accumulate, I'm going to leave it all behind. And no matter how dark the night, there's always hope. Let me say that again because I wanted him pressed on your mind if you don't buy the book because you need this. No matter how long you live, life is short. No matter how much you accumulate, you're going to leave it all behind. And no matter how dark the night, there's always hope. So I want you to think about those three things which will help you to keep your balance in life spiritually. The first one is this, that no matter how long you live, life is short. Now, it's only as we look at life from the viewpoint of death that we can really keep our balance. And we have to realize that life is very, very short. Now, the psalmist uses two analogies to help us to understand how brief life is. The first is, he said, our life is as a hand's breadth. Now, that was a unit of measurement. 
You know, in ancient days, before they had rulers, before they had yardsticks, uh, people used various parts of the body to uh, measure things. Uh, for example, they, they would use the tip of the finger to, to the elbow uh, as, a, as a cubit. That's about 18 inches. And the average man will be 18 inches from the tip of his finger to his elbow, and they would use that as a unit of measure. The other unit that they used was a hand's breadth, which was the width of the, of the hand, which is about four inches. Go home today and measure, if you're an average-sized man, the, the, the width of your, your hand, and it'll be about four inches. And he was simply saying to us that life for us is a very narrow span. It is here just for a little while, and then it vanishes away. And then having said that, he said our life is like a, a vapor. It's very much like James said in the, in the book of James chapter 4. He said, what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. Now you go outside on a, on a cool day and you exhale and you let the warm breath from your lungs hit the cold air on the outside and it vaporizes for just a moment and you stand there for a second and then it's gone, it's vanished as though it's never been. And he said, that's a picture of your life and of mine and it is pointing out to us that, that life is passing very quickly and the point is that no matter how long we live, whether long or short, Life is always too short. Some time ago, I was watching a movie called Comanche Moon. It's a story of two uh, Texas uh, Rangers, one named Gus, one Captain McCall. And Gus's wife, Nellie, has died after an extended illness. And uh, Captain McCall is talking to him about that. Captain McCall's never been married. He doesn't understand anything about married love. But he said, uh, you know, Nellie's been sick a long time, and when you're sick that long, there's no need to linger. And Gus said to him, McCall, we are all lingering. And it is sobering to realize that we're here just for a little while, and then we will vanish away. Civil Arms expressed that beautifully in a poem. She said, so brief our days, so very brief, like an autumn rose with a falling leaf, a moment's light, a glance of sun, and then our pilgrimage is done as the rainbow fades in the summer sky and the green grass flourishes to die. This moment's triumph too will wane and none shall call it back again. Right quickly then, while the candle glows, a little while and the books will close. Go carve your figure of renown for soon you must lay your chisel down. Use well the hours, joys, it's grief, for life is brief, so very brief. And no matter how long you live, when you look back, life is short. You recognized uh, a couple of while ago they'd been married 61 years. Well, this September, the second, my wife and I will have been married 62 years. But you know what? It seems like just yesterday that we were a, a young couple and moving into that apartment in in Waco, Texas, trying to scrape out a living. We, it, it, it's passed so very quickly, and we sometimes ask ourselves, where has the time gone? Oliver Wendell Holmes was one time talking to Dean Atchison, and, the, and Dean said to him, uh, Oliver, if, if the Lord should open the sky and say to you, Holmes, you've got just five minutes to live, what would you say? 
He said, I would say to him, okay, boss, but I wish it were 10. So no matter how long we live, life is so very, very short. 19, uh, 2001, when I was 67 years of age, I had uh, bypass surgery. I had uh, I hadn't had any heart attack, but I was beginning to have a little problems in my chest. And so I went to the doctor. He put me on the treadmill. And he was, I was there about 10 minutes. And he cut the thing off. And I said, Doc, I think I can go a little longer than that. He said, no, no, you don't need to go any longer than that. You need to have an arteriogram. I said, okay, let's get it, let's get it done in a hurry because i got to go back to Waco. I've got work to do. Well, I had no idea what was involved in an arteriogram, but when I came to, uh, he said, every artery in your body is stopped up, all 10 of them. They're just 10. And we're going to do seven bypasses the next day. Now, seven bypasses were the maximum. I said, Doc, would you do eight so I could make the Guinness Book of Records? He said, they're not eight you can do. And so he, he gave me uh, seven bypasses. And one day after that surgery was over, the doctor walked in the office and in, in my, my bedroom and he said to me, Preacher, I think I've bought you 10 years. Well, I was 67 years of age at that time. And I said, Doc, I'll settle for that. That would make me 77. That was more than the average lifespan. But I didn't realize how fast that 10 years would pass. I, I didn't realize how much I could get accomplished in 10 years. And so when my 10 years was up, I wrote my doctor a letter. I said, doctor, I either want a new prognosis or I want a new doctor, one or the other. (laughs) I'm not ready to go. But I realized that no matter how long you live, you always want a little more time. Some time ago, Ezekiel Emanuel, one of the architects of the the, uh, uh, Obamacare, made a statement that uh, he said we, we need to, people need to stop going to have medical checkups when they get to be 75 years of age. He said he was recommending this as a cost containment measure for the Affordable Care Act. It would make the Affordable Care Act more affordable, affordable if you old folks would just stop going to the doctor and, and, and pass on, get out of the way. And he pointed out that most of the medical expenses today are spent on the last part of life. In fact, more are spent on old people in the end of their life than all the rest of their life put together. And he said this, besides this, after 80, you use your, lose your vitality and your creative mojo and you don't contribute to work or to society or to the world. And so you ought to just pass on. Well, let me say a couple of things about uh, that uh, Ezekiel Emanuel, number one is I'd be glad for him to die at 75. Uh, and he was 58 when he said that. I'd like to ask him what he, how he felt about when he gets to be 74. I think he'd change his mind. So uh, I, I, I'm 83, almost 83. And I've done 21 funerals this year. I've preached about once a month. I serve on a bank board. I help to run a a foundation that gives away two and a half million dollars a year. And I'm still making a bit of a contribution in the world, even though I'm an old man and I'm costing the Affordable Care Act some money. But let me tell you that... uh, 
no matter how long you live, life is short. So let me ask you, if you had just one day to live, what would you do? Who would you write? Who would you call? What amends would you make? What uh, loose ends would you tie up? You know, the Bible says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And you may have only one day to live. Who knows? Uh, I just remind you of this, that no matter how long it's been or will be, it won't be long enough. So, no matter how long you live, life is short. Second thing I want you to remember, if you want to keep your balance in life, is no matter how much you accumulate, you're going to leave it all behind. You see, we not only, to have a balanced life, need a healthy view of time, we need a healthy view of our possessions. And he reminds us that we hurry and we worry, we fret and we sweat to accumulate things, and we're going to leave it all behind for somebody else to spend. You know, it's pretty sobering to remember that one of these days somebody else is going to live in your house. One of these days somebody else is going to sit in your pew. I guess you've got your own, haven't you? If you, if you wonder if you have your own, just let somebody else get in it and it doesn't belong in it, you know. But one of these days, everything we have, everything we accumulate, we're going to leave behind for somebody else to use. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not against working hard and accumulating things. When I was 14 years of age, my dad said to me, he said, you get out and get you a job. And I said, where am I going to get a job? He said, that's your problem. Just get out and get one. You know what? I got out and got one, just like he told me to do. And I've been working ever since, except when those, those times when I was in school and couldn't work. And sometimes I worked while I was at school. So I'm not opposed to, to working hard and accumulating things. And God has prospered me and I have accumulated enough. But let me just say this. The danger is that we'll become so caught up in accumulating things that we neglect God or we neglect our health or we neglect our family. And just remember this, no matter how much you accumulate, you're going to leave it all behind. W.T. Wagner was the treasurer for President Eisenhower. Among other things, he had a 500,000 acre ranch in Texas. 500,000 acres of land. When he died, somebody asked his business manager, how much did he leave? He said he left it all. That's how much you're going to leave. That's how much I'm going to leave. Richest man in America, Bill Gates, worth $81 billion. Second wealthiest man in America, when I checked these figures, was Warren Buffett, worth $68 billion. Donald Trump, have you heard of Donald Trump? <laughs> Donald Trump, worth 10 to $12 billion. But you know, when, when those guys die, Trump and, and uh, Buffett and Gates, when they die, I'm going to leave as much as all three of them put together. Because they're going to leave it all, and that's how much I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave it all. And so we need to be careful and remember this, that it's not what you gather, it's what you scatter that matters in life. Now underscore that in your mind. If you forget everything else I say about this point, 
It's not what you gather, it's what you scatter that matters in life. And I hope you will spend your days scattering a little bit of what you've got because you're going to leave it all behind anyway. You know, uh, Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth, doth corrupt and thieves do break through and try to steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves do not break through and try to steal. Pat Neff, who was governor of Texas and then became president of Baylor University, said, all of my life I heard preachers say, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But they never told me how to do it. I had to figure that out for myself. And he said, I figured it out this way, that you, you want to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You put your money in things that are going to heaven and houses and cars and land and cattle aren't going to heaven. People are. You put your money in people. So maybe you ought to start a scholarship out here at this fine university. Help some student get through school that couldn't go otherwise. Maybe you ought to start supporting charitable organizations like Meals on Wheels in this community or the, the Salvation Army, some organization that is helping to meet the needs of the poor and the needy in this community. Put your money in people because one of these days, that'll be the only thing you have to take with you into eternity. It's not what you gather. It's what you scatter that matters. So you remember this, no matter how long you live, life is short. Secondly, no matter how much you accumulate, you're going to leave it all behind. And thirdly, no matter how dark the night, there's always hope. I told you this psalmist was going through a time of trouble and difficulty. We don't know what it was, but it was a dark time in his life and dark times come to all of us. There are no exceptions to that. I simply remind you of what F. Scott Fitzgerald said, there is a dark night of the soul that comes upon all of us. And when that dark night of the soul comes, when trouble and difficulty comes, there's a temptation that we, like the psalmist, will want to lash out at God. Remember that experience of the disciples? Jesus was talking to them one day and he gave some hard sayings and some turned and walked away from him. Jesus said to his 12, he said, will you also go away? They said, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of life. And if you're going to walk away from the Lord, where else are you going to go? There is no other place of hope. And this psalmist came to realize that the Lord was not his problem. The Lord was his hope. And that he needed to put his faith and trust more deeply in the Lord. Corey Ten Boom said, when you're riding on the train and it comes to a tunnel, you don't throw your ticket away. You don't jump off the train. You trust the engineer to get you through. You come to a dark time in your life, you trust God to get you through and he won't let you down. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of martyred missionary Jim Elliot said you can't get to tomorrow morning without going through tonight. So sorrows and difficulties and hardships are a part of life, but we don't let those things drive us away from God because we realize that no matter how dark the night, there's always hope. And our hope 
is in him. A long time ago, Moses, a servant of the Lord, said, the eternal God is our refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. The old Puritans had a saying, you lay your life at the feet of the Lord and he will take you in his arms. And that's the same thing Moses was saying. The everlasting God is our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms of God. And the invitation to you today and to me is that we lay our lives at the feet of Jesus and God will take us in his arms. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and he said to him, we live in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie as promised before the world began. We live in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie has promised us since the world began. So I remind you that our brief days on this earth will soon pass. Our possessions will be left behind. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So would you remember, no matter how long you live, life's short. No matter how much you accumulate, you're going to leave it all behind. And no matter how dark the night, there's always hope. Put your faith and trust in the eternal God and he will bear you safely. The poet put it this way, the hands of Christ seem very frail for they were broken by a nail. Only they reach heaven at last whom those frail, broken hands hold fast. Friend, put the hand of faith in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus and you can keep your balance in life. Pray with me and then we're going to sing. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you that even though life seems so very short, that there is an eternity out there where we shall live eternally with you. Help us to remember that while all we accumulate on this earth, we leave behind, but we can send things ahead by investing in eternity. And most of all, help us to know that in the dark hours of life, we can lean on you and find strength and grace to help us. Now, Lord, if there's somebody here today who needs to put the hand of faith in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus, give them the grace and the grit to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing together a hymn of invitation. Maybe somebody here today wants to trust Christ as Savior. You've been thinking about it. God's been speaking to you, but you haven't done anything about it yet. And today's the day. This is your opportunity. Or maybe you need to be a part of this fellowship. Need to move your letter, transfer your membership. God doesn't want to have any homeless children. You need a church home. And so as we sing, I invite you to slip out of your pew and down these aisles. 
take Brad by the hand and tell him that you want to trust Christ as Savior or you want to join this church and become a part of the family. Whatever God impresses you to do, this is the time to do it. So would you stand please, join with us as we sing. And if you need to come, come right now as we sing together.